All right, guys, welcome back to Righteous Remnant. I'm here with Dennis Cole. Um, man, we did our whole race thing, uh, race podcast in the last episode. So this is going to be a continuation of that. But uh, uh, we ended it basically on on kind of the motives as to why this whole social justice thing uh, is being pushed forward in society. So uh, today, I'm just going to be asking questions again, Dennis you know, really on the topic of Marxism, all right? Because yeah. I actually didn't know much about it, you know, cultural Marxism and all those things until I met you. So I, I first, I want to I want to start off by asking, you know, how did you get into this? How did you, you know, uh, get into knowing more or finding the dangers of Marxism and all that stuff? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, so when I was in college, um, you know, I went to Berkeley and, it, you know, this was back in, you know, 2000 is when I was a freshman in college. And, um, you know, they used to teach a lot about systemic racism. And I was part of a campus fellowship at that time. I was part of a campus fellowship called InterVarsity. And they were really big about social justice, right? Like almost every message talked about some aspect of social justice. And it's very much about helping the poor and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, as a freshman in college, I was like, yeah, that's great, right? Let's help the poor. Let's, um, you know, let's love them. Let's do all this. And then I'm, I'm learning about all this systemic racism in our culture, in our society. And I'm like, okay, you know, I just don't, I don't know much. And to be honest, I didn't care that much about the systemic racism stuff. I would just, you know, I learned a little bit about it. I'm like, yeah, that kind of sucks. Um, but at my campus fellowship, you know, I start. I had. I was very internally conflicted about all the social justice stuff. For me, um, I just felt like, okay, how come we don't seem to talk very much about, you know, saving people from sin, right? We didn't talk that much about things that I considered really essential to the gospel message. It just didn't seem like there was that much discussion of those things, right? And it just seemed like my heart wasn't in the same place. I could tell like a lot of, like a lot of that culture was very much into like activism and stuff like that. And at that time I like didn't care that much about that stuff. So anyways, I, I always just felt a little bit conflicted with the social mess social justice stuff, but I didn't really think about it on such a deep level to understand where it was coming from, if that makes sense. And um but what I saw is I saw the effect that a lot of it had. And the and the effect that a lot of it had was that a lot of people um, started questioning parts of the Bible, right? Like a big one was um, homosexuality, right? Like, okay, but you have these oppressed peoples, right? And, you know, if all of this, the gay community in America, they've been oppressed and they've been snubbed and wrong. And then here we are as Christians and we are the ultimate oppressors, right? In our culture, because we're saying, hey, your lifestyle is evil. What you're doing is evil, something like that, right? Now, I would say this, I've la I've literally never met a homophobic Christian in my life, meaning I've never met somebody who actually hated gay people, right? I've actually met a lot of Christians who would, you know, um, who feel same-sex attraction, right? I, I don't call them gay people because I don't believe in that identity, right? I think all of us struggle with, with feelings that are, are bad and wrong and evil. That's universal, right? So, but if you're if you really get caught up in the social justice world, I think one of the areas where we really start to see compromise is okay. But how do we think about homosexuality? But that was just one. There's there's a lot of them to be honest, and um, 
what I saw over time is that a lot of people who would get into this stuff, they would start to question major aspects of the Bible and the scriptures and the traditional gospel and stuff like that. And over time, what I saw is that a lot of them started to leave the faith. And um, to be honest, I was kind of slow into this. I remember after college, I served on leadership at a church where a group of students, they wanted to join in with, um, I forget what it was called, like the Day of Tolerance or something like that. But it was basically a day of solidarity. We're going to stand alongside the, the gay community and we're going to protest, um, you know, discrimination against the gay community. And, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, you know, like, yeah, who, who likes, you know, discrimination and bias? Yeah, we could stand alongside the gay community. But the pastor that I was serving with at that time, he was like, no, like, this is not okay. And I remember I had a talk with him where I was like, hey, look, even if you think that what they're doing is unwise, we still have to appreciate their heart. They're trying, right, to love and show compassion, you know, with the gay community and, and show that we love you guys. And, I, and I'm like, yeah, that, and that's true. So, you know, and I, I remember going to have a back and forth with him, but that's funny because he at that time was kind of more where I'm at. I'm like, no, you don't understand. There's a real danger in the ideology here, right? And if we stand in solidarity with the gay community, and the question is, can you stand in solidarity with them and still say, hey, but you're a sinner and you need to repent, right? Or we're going to face eternal condemnation from the Lord. And see, that's a message that is very difficult to reconcile with this heart for quote unquote social justice, right? And to stand up for the oppressed and things like that. And that's because it all has roots in Marxism. See, at the time, when I was younger, I didn't understand the links between all this stuff and Marxism, right? But as I began to study this stuff more and as I started studying American history more, I started to see all of these links all over the place. So, um, do you mind if I go in a little bit into, into what Marxism is and how it yes. relates to all this? Please. Um, so, you know, classic Marxism is this idea, it's really a way of seeing the world through a lens of class warfare. All right, so what you have is, is life is, is a battle of classes. And in Karl Marx's day, you know, it was, you know, the workers, the proletariat, and they're really fighting against um, the capitalists, the owners, the business, you know, the business owners. And, um, and the idea is like this, because the context is, in his day was like, you know, if you're a German, if you're a German factory worker, well, who did you hate? Well, you hated the French factory worker. Those dirty French people, right? Hate those French Frenchies, right? And they, and they go to war all the time. And Karl Marx is like, hey, no, that's stupid. That doesn't make any sense, right? The German factory worker and the French factory worker are brothers, right? You guys are in the same plight in life, okay? Your enemy is not each other. Your enemy is the factory owner, because what's happening, the factory owner is working you to death, and who's getting rich off of it? The owner, right? So what do you need to do? You need to band together with all of your oppressed peoples. You need to band together as one, and then what you need to do is you need to take power from the owners, because the owners will never willingly give up their power, because life is class warfare. They're not going to give it up to you, right? No, you've got to fight for it. You've got to take it. And then once you take their power and their capital, their stuff, their factories, well, then you can share it out, you know, amongst yourselves, right? And then, you know, everyone can work a little bit and, and we can share out all of that wealth that used to just be given to the owners. We'll share it all together, okay? So that's kind of classic Marxism, right? And that's, and that's communism is the political philosophy that kind of flows from that. Well, what happened was this kind of classic Marxism um, 
really failed in America in particular. And that's because the churches in particular in America were very um, influential. And immediately they saw the ways that this message doesn't fit the teachings of Christ, right? Um, because these capital, you know, these capitalists, they're not evil people. We're all evil people, right? We're all evil. We all need to repent and be most concerned about our own sin, not blaming all of our problems on the sins of someone else, right? So this is one of the huge differences here, right? In biblical Christianity, our worldview is such that we ourselves are the problem. The problem isn't them. The problem is me, right? It's my sin that is causing all these problems. I'm reaping what I've sown, right? It's my sin that's going to result in me being condemned right, eternally, right? And so what I've got to do is I've got to deal with my sin, all right? That's really where the focus is. And the promise is, hey, if you do what's right, even though you are wronged in this world, God is the great judge and he will, he will bring justice in the end and he will reward you in every way that you've been treated unfairly and still continue to do what's right, okay? So that message is totally antithetical to Marxism. And that's why Marx actually had a big problem with Christianity and religion in general, right? And his problem was that it is the tool of the oppressors. Christianity is what the oppressors preach to keep the oppressed peoples oppressed, okay? And so this is Marxism. What Now what happened is because classic Marxism didn't work so well, in America at least, it worked really well all around the world, okay? But what happened is there is this school called the Frankfurt School, okay? And what they did was they evolved this Marxist message so that it's not just about owners versus workers. Now what they did was they created kind of a new way of seeing it, especially through the lens of race, right? Now this works really well here in America because we've had racial tension and racial problems for, that, for a long time. It's, in our, it's deep in our history. And so this worked really well, especially if you start to see it through oppression, through the lens of race. Now, we're t now we have a system of class warfare that's very applicable to the American uh, situation. Okay, and that's one of the reasons why this is so effective here in America, and, 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 and we're all familiar with this narrative, right? Well, in this narrative, it's not the capitalist owners who are oppressing the poor, and the poor need to band together and take their stuff. No, it's, it's the whites, okay? The whites are the oppressors, and they've been oppressing all of these other groups, right? And obviously, the one at the heart is the, is the black group, right? The black group is the most oppressed, and then you have you know, um, the gay community, you have Latinos, you have transgenders, you have, you know, on the fringes, you have Asians, you know, but they're very fringe oppressed at this point, right? But anyone they can make it a case, hey, you've been oppressed, right? And that's why you've been suffering. It's because of this white supremacy. Now you have a narrative that fits the historic pain and division in our culture. And that's why it's so compelling, right? And now you build this entire narrative about systemic racism. And systemic racism is really the core belief that you need to have. It holds together this whole system of oppression, okay? Because undoubtedly, there was severe systemic racism, right, in the slavery period and in the Jim Crow era, right? When you have, you know, all of these laws on the books that are discriminating against black people, that's a real part of our history. There was real systemic racism, institutional racism, okay? But... 
there's not really much that's like that anymore. There's no obvious systemic racism. So now what it has to be is we've got to train people to see that that racism has persisted. Why? Because we still have inequality. So the inequality is always held up as this is the evidence of oppression. From the Marxist worldview, all inequality is caused by oppression. Okay? The reason why you're not as well off as your neighbor is because he's part of a class that is oppressing you, right? And you need to be able to see that. If you don't see it, then he's going to continue oppressing you forever, right? And that's why you got to get woke. You got to awaken to the reality I'm oppressed. Here's all the ways they've been secretly oppressing me. And now I got to get angry about it. And I got to band together with the other oppressed groups. And we have to take power from the oppressor class. That's Marxism. Just to be clear, you're not saying that racism doesn't exist, but, but what Marxism is trying to instill in society is that you must see kind of every uh, uh, oppression, every injustice through the lens of, of racism, basically. Exactly. At least that's, that's what they're trying. Okay, got it, got it. Okay. Exactly, exactly. Of course, of course racism exists. And by the way, in classic Marxism, in Marx times, of course capitalist oppression did exist. Of course. Yeah. Right, mm -hmm. it still exists today in various forms. Right, yeah. all there's life is full of oppression. Okay, so this is this is the difference here between the Marxist lens and the biblical lens. The biblical lens is the idea that all humans are oppressed. Okay, all humans are oppressed. Our oppressors are not primarily other humans, although they can be at times other humans. But they're not. That's not our primary oppressors. From the scriptures' point of view, we are oppressed by spiritual powers. Okay, this is the idea of being under slavery, right, to the prince of this world, right? The one who rules the world. He's not talking about Caesar. He's talking about a, a, a demon, if we would call it that, right? Like a spiritual power that rules. And from, from, from the Bible's perspective, all humans are underneath that system of slavery. That's why when we come to Christ, we get transferred out of that kingdom out of that system, and now we're part of Christ's kingdom and his family. We're no longer under the oppression of the devil, okay? That's the basic idea. Christianity is a natural, it's innately a supernaturalist worldview, okay? It's not, you can't really have true Christianity, biblical Christianity, and not embrace a worldview that sees through a lens of warring spiritual kingdoms and angels and demons and, you know, scatological judgment and Christ coming back and raising the dead. It's, it's, it's thoroughly supernatural, okay? Marxism is not. Marxism is very much a materialistic, humanistic worldview that sees everything in terms of class warfare today. And that, that's why it's a totally different worldview. It's a way of, different way of seeing the world. So if I'm oppressed by my, by my capitalist business owner, okay, or if I'm oppressed by my white neighbor, okay, that, those things really do happen. But that is not the defining course of, that, that's not a defining thing in my life if I'm a Christian, right? If I'm a Christian, you know, if I'm a slave, even if I'm a slave, I'm Christ's free man, is what scripture says. If I'm in Christ, I'm a new creature, right? I might be a slave on the outside, but I'm free on the inside because I belong to Christ. So I can't identify as a slave. That's not who I am, 
right? Scripture says if you can get your freedom, if you're a slave and you can get your freedom, go ahead and do it. But if you can't, it's okay. Why? Because we all suffer unjustly. Everyone has to suffer unjustly in this life, right? Everyone is going to go through forms of oppression. And your focus needs to be on your actions, how you progress through this life, even though you're treated unjustly in various ways. Okay, why? Because there's going to be a judgment and you're going to be judged on your actions in the midst of all of this unjust suffering that everyone has to go through. Yeah. All right. But if we look at the kind of the heroes of our faith, right, let's use William Wilberforce, for example. Uh, he is a Christian who felt the need to stop slavery in England. Mm -hmm. I, mean, uh, I, I think he's a great man of God, heroes of our faith. I mean, isn't that what we're supposed to do, though? We're supposed Absolutely. to fight injustice. Absolutely. So uh, how is that different from kind of the hearts of those who have bought into this whole social justice thing? Yes. So fighting injustice, I think, is really important. Okay. Yeah. But it, it's a secondary issue. Okay. That's a, that's a big deal, right? Meaning we're never promised by God that we're going to have perfect justice in, the li in this life. Right. All of the promises are the opposite. In this life, you're going to suffer, you're going to go through hardships, you're going to go through tribulations, you're going to go through trials, right? So in the ways that we can influence people to act righteously, that's a great thing that we're going to be judged on, all right? But our expectation should never be that we're going to be able to eradicate all injustice. That's impossible, okay? And that's a huge difference because the nature of Marxism is, hey, there's this huge injustice here, so what do you need to do? You need uh, got it, got it. to take their power, and it's really by any means necessary. It's warfare. You're in war against them. So what it does is it justifies evil behavior because you're being treated evilly, got it, right? Yeah. And that's and why it demonizes everybody in that yes. group. Okay. Yes, yes, exactly, okay. right? Yeah. Rather than saying, hey, we're all in this together, meaning we're all imperfect, we're all sinful, so I can understand why they're acting in this way. Yeah. It, it's, no, these are evil capitalists, and they're not like you. Right. And and it 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 naturally engender it, it nurtures a culture of unforgiveness and bitterness and hatred and anger because you need that to justify the terrible things that you have to do to take power. OK, look, the reality is you give almost any human power and they're going to use it in semi oppressive ways. That's because all humans are deeply flawed. Right. The great you know, everyone thinks if I was the king of the world, things would be fixed. Good gracious. No. That almost certainly, if you were the king of the world, there'd be even more oppression, okay? Naivete. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. power is very, very difficult to steward. It's very yeah. difficult to steward. And that's why when we look at all those who have had power and use it oppressively, and we judge them, meaning we think, I would never do that if I was in power. You're a fool, okay? You're a fool. No, you almost certainly would be corrupted by all the temptations that come with power, all right? There's a lot of temptations. So what we have to do when we look at people who've been in power is we have to appreciate the good things that they've done and condemn the negative things that they've done, right? That's healthy because what that does is the same thing with our parents, okay? We have to honor our parents for their strengths and we have to reject their weaknesses, okay? Just because if our parents were abusive, does that mean that they were terrible human beings and they should have been executed or something like that? No, right? Because we know our parents. We know that even if they're abusive, they can still have good things about them. It doesn't excuse their abuse, right? But this is this is one of the most important things for you know young people as they come into adulthood. You have to learn to see the good and the bad in your parents, right? Honor their good, forgive their bad, 
mm-hmm. right? And that's really important. But it's just, this is the same thing on a society-wide level, right? When we look at our founding fathers in America, were they perfect? Well, of course not. Of course they're not perfect, right? But if you could put yourself in their shoes and understand what they were dealing with, a lot of people are upset, you know, that our founding fathers had slaves and stuff like that. But look, if you understood that time period, slavery was a worldwide eternal institution. There had always been slavery, systems of slavery in the world. The idea that they would have been against slavery, that's the thing that really would have been out of time. That would have been like, it's the same today of people who like, you know, maybe in a thousand years, we'll be like, oh my God, how could we have killed ants? You know, like this poor ants, right? You know, maybe in a thousand years or a couple hundred years, we'll have the technology that we can read their little thoughts, right? And we're like, oh my gosh, their their whole civilization. And we'll think, oh, we'll never kill ants, right? But that's not the way it is today, right? Right. But they would say, okay, the other side would say, yes, slavery existed at that time, but it was Christians who abolished slavery. They were the ones who fought against that injustice. Mm-hmm. They used scripture to go ahead and, and you know defend their actions to abolish slavery. Now they're using it for this time. Their systemic oppression with, with whites or people in government, the cops and all those things, and we see in scripture that we're supposed to go ahead and stop that just like how the you know our early fathers in in america stopped Mm -hmm. slavery so what would you say to that yeah so first of all i totally applaud that heart yeah okay that that's a great heart okay The, the 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 desire to see just to seek justice to root out oppression that's a wonderful heart okay now what i what i I would follow up with that and say but you're being deceived okay but you're being deceived so this is all part of this this neo-Marxist narrative that there is some kind of great, great oppression of blacks in America today. I'm, I'm picking on blacks, but, you know, of all those different groups, right? Females, gays, any minority, right? They're all being severely oppressed. But you have to understand, look, I've been to other countries of the world. If you've, They all want to come to America, okay? Their dream is to come to America. That's not what you get in deeply oppressive societies, right? You wouldn't have all of these non-American who would be minorities, they wouldn't all want to come here, right, if it, if this was a land of great oppression. Look, we people say, you know, oh, Trump, he's trying to keep out the, the Mexicans. We live in more, you know, immigrants than any other country in the world every year, all right? For the most part, we're a very warm, embracing, loving nation. And again, I'm clarifying, we're not perfect, all right? No, there is no perfect nation. But look, I'm half Korean. Anybody who is Korean knows... Korea's way more racist than America is. Like, by a factor of, like, 10 or 20. Guess what? That's true for most nations of the world. That's not to pick on Koreans, okay? Most nations in the world, they're way more racist than America is. Because guess what? It's really hard to have a a culture where you actually mix all of these races. It's so, so, so difficult, right? So most countries in the world are pretty homogenous. They're, like, one major ethnic group and it's very difficult you know to have serious minority um you know uh, relationships and, and 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 sharing power we've had we had a minority president right again to be clear we're not perfect we're not you know we're not i wouldn't say we're mature in it okay but we're doing better than most nations and that's that's the difference here okay there's this idea you know we're being compared against the perfect there is no perfect you go anywhere in the world, they're struggling with a lot of this stuff way worse than we are. 
okay? And that's because they're, these are very difficult things to navigate. They're really hard, okay? So, uh, yeah, let's fight together against real impression. But you, what you can't do is you can't point to every inequality and say that this is for sure oppression right. because there's inequality. That's the issue, and right? that's not discerning rightly. You right. Know, if you always default to that, then uh, that's not true justice then. You're just kind of you know, blaming something that's not there. So I, I think all of this kind of systemic uh, racism has has been uh, uh, debated ad nauseum, right? I mean, if you, you, you talked about uh, Larry Elder, Tom Sowell, Candace Owens. I mean, if anybody wants to look into uh, kind of more the conservative side, the evidence that uh, systemic racism is not really that prevalent here in America, I mean, they can go to those guys if they really want to know. Right, right. But today, I really want to pivot to Marxism. Why? Why do they want to do this? Why is Marxism, what's the end goal for Marxism? Yeah. Okay, so they, they came here and they want to go ahead and use kind of the class warfare with race, with uh, homosexuality, LGBTQ groups and all that. What's the point? Why, why are they doing that? Well, look, Marxism has always been uh, much better at tearing down than building. Okay, mm -hmm. that's the history of Marxism. It's really a destructive philosophy. Because again, you're always comparing it to the perfect, right? It's, you know, hey, there's all this oppression here. What we need to do is tear it down. Then we can rebuild a perfect society. But they're pretty light on the details of that perfect society. That's because it doesn't exist, all right? Again, this is part of the Christian paradigm. The Christian paradigm is we're, we're deeply flawed human beings, all of us. So it we're not expecting to have utopia on this side of the second coming of Christ, right? Um, but from a Marxist perspective, you know, every injustice or oppression or, you know, inequality is held up as evidence that we need to tear everything down, right? And that's, it's so dangerous. It is so dangerous to destroy all these, look, when when you're young, it's 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 natural to be critical of stuff, Okay. Because you don't understand why things are the way that they are. You don't really understand. You know, you, you know when you learn that? When you actually try and lead it yourself. Okay? When you actually try and lead stuff yourself, you get a sense of, oh, this is why, you know, they've always done it like this. Because the things, the, the, the system that exists, exists because it works to some degree. All right? And yeah, there's room for innovation. If you can figure out a better way to do it, this is, the, this is the beauty of the free market system. You're free to innovate and try to set up a new company, a new organization, a new church, whatever. You can do it your way, all right? And then what you're going to do is you're going to run into all of the problems with your way, and you're going to see why your way a lot of times doesn't work in the way that you had envisioned that it would. That's how real life is. And so I simply say Marxism is a grand version of of this where it's just like tear it down tear down the electoral college tear down you know like capitalism tear down the banks tear down everything and it's like you have no clue what you would put it, it's just, it's a defund the police it, tear it down tear down this oppressive policing system right well okay what are you going to do with all of the crime? What are you going to do with all the rapists? What are you going to do with the murder? What are you going to do with all of this stuff if you tear down the police system, right? Or all the stuff, you've got to come up with ways that they would, those needs would be met. And so 
what you're notice is that there's always the slogans of tear it down, but when you start actually like, and build new social services, right? That's the part where there's no agreement on, right? There's never any agreement on what to replace it with or what would be better, what's a more perfect system. And that's because these are very difficult systems, right? They've evolved to this point because they work to some degree. Are there flaws with it? Of course. But tearing it down and replacing it with something better is extremely difficult, which is why the free market system works so well because it gives you the freedom. Go ahead, try to make something better, right? Try to make something better. And if it works, then people will buy your product or your service and it will grow. And, and you know what you find with new businesses? The vast majority of them fail, right? That's, that's healthy, right? The vast majority of them fail because they might be better in one area, but they're worse in a lot of other areas, okay? But then every now and again, you get a company that really does it better on the whole. And then what starts to happen, they start to take market share, and then other companies start to copy them, all right? And the whole system grows. It's a, it's a phenomenal system. It works really well, okay? We've seen more wealth production in the past couple hundred years than in all of human history combined in a lot of ways, yeah. All right, like it's a it's a it's a tremendous system, and this is the kind of the, the secondary part of all this. the The reason for the popularity of Marxism, especially amongst our young people today, really has to do with they do not understand American history in terms of why we established what we established. Right? Why? Like, what our founding principles and our founding values are? What we are fighting against? But look, the whole American the whole American system of governance is predicated on a couple ideas. And one of the big ones is that human beings naturally become oppressive, okay? So you can't give them too much power. You can't give governments too much power. If you give governments too much power, they will become oppressive. That's one of the founding core values and principles of the American system, which is why we designed it with rotating leadership, right? And and three branches of government, right? That have to contend with one another and, you know, in term limits and all of these things to, to limit the power of government. And the whole thing of Marxism is that it tries to throw away all of that, right? No, 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 we need the government to enact equality, this perfect equality that we're all dreaming of. So we've got to give the government more power, right? And we've got to, let it do what it wants to do. And that, it, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, yeah. That's literally our entire yeah. American, you know, that's the reason why America was created in a lot of ways. Right. Right? And this generation is willing to throw all of that away in the hopes, the dream, right, that they can er erect the perfect government or a more perfect government. They don't realize, they don't realize how terrible so many governments in the world are and how terrible it's been throughout history and how amazing this government is with all its flaws compared to all of yeah. those governments. Yeah, because Marxism, it seems to me, and, and kind of like socialism is that it it makes them gods. In and a so, sense, yeah. In a sense, so it, it uh, that's idolatry right there. Because as you are trying to erect this perfect utopia, you're putting all of your trust that this government is going to make everything right. That right. this government is going to fix every single problem. Right. Yeah. Okay. And but look, the the power that you give the government, the power that you give the government to help, can also be used to harm. That's yeah. always the way it works. That's how power works. It can be used for good or evil. 
right? Our, the founding conviction of our forefathers was that you cannot entrust government with too much power because yeah. eventually it will use it for evil, all right? And yeah. I think that's wisdom. I think that's very wise, right? Um, and that's one of the huge reasons why Marxism is so dangerous, and it has a track record. We have, we have over 100 years of historical data now to see how every country that has employed this Marxist worldview has it's resulted in so much suffering and it is it is honestly crazy to me that people can't see or willfully blind themselves to the parallels as though no we're really going to do it this time right this is this is a a Marxism that's really not Karl Marx, right? This is, we're just going to take some of his good ideas, we're throwing out all those bad ideas, and now we're going to do it right, and we just need the power. Just give our government the power, and we'll do it right this time. It, it's so naive, right? It's so naive, and it's so, um, in, it, it's so in contrast to our forefathers. And this is, the, this is the thing that's really been impressed upon me over the past five, six years, this idea of despising the inheritance that we have been given, right? This is the inherit the wisdom that's passed down from our forefathers, and our generation is despising it and saying, oh no, it's a system of oppression. They're literally calling it white supremacy, right? This wisdom that's passed down, it's like, oh no, this is all artifacts, remnants of white supremacy, and it's just designed to help white people even though it tends to help Asians the most for some reason in American society. That makes no sense, right, that is designed to help white people. It's all part of this narrative, and you have to uphold the narrative. But really what's at the heart of it is pain in people, okay? I, I say this, but look, at the heart of the Marxist system is that it is, it is capitalizing on the pain that people feel, right? And look, a lot of times it's pain towards authority figures, all right? This... It, this is the great irony of this thing, okay? There's distrust towards police, distrust towards, you know, our founding fathers, right? These these authority figures who set things in place long ago, right? And a lot of it, if people, if people could really see into their hearts, a lot of it is ultimately this, this pain from wounds from authority figures, whether it be neglect, abandonment, all this kind of stuff. A lot of times it's father wounds, okay? Now, we're speaking generalities, so I can't, that's clearly not true for everyone, okay? There's always exceptions in generalities, but that's generally true. We're living in the most fatherless generation in our nation's history, right? Something like 40% now are of, of babies are conceived to, you know, unmarried mothers, right? That's society-wide. And so, the, you know, there's a reason, this is why Scripture warns us about the need to be, you know, uh, to obey his commands concerning sex, concerning family, fidelity. And if you don't, it naturally wreaks havoc on your culture, and it, it ends up in destroying your, your, your society. This is the idea of, you know, the, turning the hearts of the fathers back to the hearts of the children, and the hearts of the children back to the hearts of the fathers. That's Malachi, right? This is the idea that the hearts of the fathers need to be turned to the children. The parents have to prioritize children. And when they don't do that, children grow up without that confidence in their parents' love and confidence in their commitment. And what that does naturally is it makes them distrust their wisdom or their advice. Okay, And that's why we have an entire generation of young people now who feel like they know better. They know better than all those old people. right? And that's that rebelliousness is so destructive it's so destructive but that's being 
you know, it's being preached in our universities. It's being preached in our institutions now where all this Marxism, Marxist ideology is taken hold and taken root. And that's why our young people are, are have you noticed it's all, it's all the institutions that target young people, yeah. right? The most progressive institutions in America tend to be the ones that target young people. It's like Hollywood, it's like music, it's education, right? All, all They're so progressive now, you know, and it's having an incredible influence on our young people. So there are people who have bought in to kind of Marxism without really knowing Marxism. I mean, I feel like they're agnostic that this whole Marxist thing exists, but truly in their heart, they feel that there, there is systemic racism, systemic oppression and things like that. So um, many of them are driven wanting to stop that. So I understand that heart. Um, so there's that side too. Um, but then there's a large majority who really want to re-envision America. They really want to change it to their own ideals. So it's becoming more totalitarian. And that's what I see right now in government, especially from the left, is they want to change the ideology of, of Americans, change their mindsets, uh, transgenderism, uh, on, on basically everything. And if you don't buy into that, it's you're, you're a bigot, you're a racist, you're an evil person. Right. right. So that's what's happening. And I see that's kind of like the effects or the consequences of Marxism is they create this, this class warfare and then they start to demonize those who don't believe in these ideas. Right. And that's what we see in other countries that had socialism, Marxism. Yeah, exactly. Is that you see these evil results. Exactly. Right. So, yeah, so they're so not just wrong, through, they're evil. They're evil. They're yeah. evil. They they force you to believe a certain way. So well, how how do we train and convince others to see that this is what is happening in this country now? Because when we yeah. start talking about this, we we look like conspiracy theorists. Oh, okay, there you go again with your Marxism and all that stuff. It's it's kind of like one of those things that like okay, dude, like like shut up with your Marxism. Okay, we get it, we get it. It's not going to happen in this country, but it's exactly happening in this country right now from the censorship and all these things. How do we help? our brothers and sisters in Christ to see this, that it, it's happening now, and how do we prepare for that? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, you've got to study a little bit of history here. Okay, mm -hmm. the idea that, you know, Marxism is not a threat. I mean, do you know how much pain and suffering was caused in the 20th century because of Marxism? It's unbelievable, right? right? The Nazis, that was the National Socialist Workers' Party, okay? That's that's social. It's, it's a different type of socialism, all right? Communist China, USSR, all of these wars that were fought, all the, 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 the poverty that's going on in Venezuela. There's so much destruction and devastation that was caused by Marxism. And if you just brush it off and be like, oh, they were stupid. <laughs> no, it's because it's so compelling. It's very compelling, right? If you can convince people they're oppressed by these people and all they need to do is take power, then... You know, that is an extremely compelling narrative, and that's exactly what is happening today. It's the same narrative. It's just with different pieces. So, I, you know, the church was instrumental in fighting Marxism in the 20th century. We had a huge—we're a huge reason why Marxism could not gain— a strong foothold here in America. But what's happened is the churches have gotten so much weaker in the 21st century. 
That's, that's the difference here. And now, it's so many Christians are buying into this worldview. And, th- and this is my concern. So a lot, uh, look, look, I'm, you know, I, I'm with, I work with a lot of Korean pastors. Korean pastors tend to be more liberal, right, in their politics. They tend to be more open to all of this stuff. And so I'm not attempting to demonize. To, be cl- to clarify what I said before, I, I was saying that, you know, from the left's perspective, we're not wrong, we're evil, okay, because we're oppressors, all right? The, the Christian worldview is, no, 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 they're wrong, they're deceived, okay? And that, that's what enables us to love them and have compassion on them, right, even as we argue vociferously against them, okay? Mm-hmm. So we're saying, hey, this is wrong, but what we're fighting against is the ideology. We're not fighting against the people, right? Because we understand people, um, you know, we're all flawed, and we, we can all be deceived on stuff. So I would, I would simply say this. <sighs> Look at the fruit of it. Look at the fruit, my Christian brothers and sisters. Look at the fruit of these teachings. And what I'm concerned is this. When you start to get really into this progressive worldview, what you're going to find is that you start having major problems with parts of the Bible. Okay? I pointed out a big one, which is the LGBT one. It's very difficult to understand why um, we should not stand up or stand with the LGBT community if we come to believe that saying that this is sin is oppression, because that's where this that's where this worldview goes, right? It says like you're oppressing the LGBT people. Well, how are you oppressing them? I haven't like beaten any gay people up, you know? No, no, no. It's you're part of a system of oppression, right? And it's your words. It's your you're saying that what they're doing is evil, and that is a remnant of white supremacy oppression. Okay. And that's, that's, that's why, if you get into this stuff, it's very difficult to hold to biblical orthodoxy on some of these issues. Another big one in the Bible is you're going to find that the Scripture has a lot to say about wealth following righteousness, right? If you do what's right, it will go well with you, right? And it, there's all these Scriptures that speak about, you know, if you're slothful or you're lazy, how that will lead to poverty, Right, and if you work hard and do these things, that will lead um, to abundance. So there, there's all these scriptures, and the more you get into that worldview, the more you start having problems with all those scriptures. Right, right. you have to reinterpret all of them, and pretty soon you got to reinterpret everything. And that's that's largely what happens. Okay, this and this isn't a new battle. This battle is fought every you know all the time. Okay, the last yeah. battle, the last generation of Christianity was over the the authority of the scriptures. Right? Are the scriptures filled with errors? Is it wrong? That was liberal Christianity, right? What you're gonna find is that most of those liberal Christians are now, you know, progressive Christians, right? But what's happening now is that all it's it, this progressive Christianity is trying to take over major portions of the evangelical church. All right. So I would just say, look at the fruit. Do people who really get into this stuff, do they love the scriptures more? Right? And do they keep their passion for the kingdom of God? and for the traditional gospel, okay? And I have to use the word traditional there. I I really mean the biblical gospel, right? But is there focus on salvation from sin? Or is there focus on helping the poor, okay? I think the scripture creates a very clear distinction here, right? Like, if we just help the poor, but we don't try and save their souls, we're missing something. And this is what happened, you know, in the last generation with, like, the YMCA, Right, the YMCA is like, hey, 
do we really need to preach an explicit gospel and call people to repentance and these types of things? Can't we just help and love people and help them without being so explicit about all that other stuff that sometimes offends people, yeah. right? And now the YMCA, the only Christian thing about that organization is the C, okay? Ain't nothing else about the YMCA Christian, all right? But if you're a progressive Christian, you're like, no, no, they're, they're doing great, right? But they've lost everything that makes them Christian. They're just a, yeah. they're just nice people, right? Yeah. All right, that's not biblical Christianity. And that's, you know, that'd be my, my other appeal to this. We've become so um, tailored to be, like, a loving Christian is one who's nice. And I just got to say, that is not an honest reading of Scripture. Okay, that's not honest. You cannot say that Jesus was the nicest man alive. He was not. He condemned a lot of people to their face. He called them wicked and perverse, right? He called them hypocrites, some of them, right, and liars. And he spoke, uh, he offended a lot of people. So did Paul. So did Peter. So did Stephen. They offend lots of people precisely because they're not nice a lot of times, all right? They say hard, unpopular truths. And this is the problem with the church. We've become so enamored with this uh, this idea of missionology where, you know, we're going to be so nice that people are going to want to know this Jesus. Yeah. And you have to weigh that against the side that we see in Scripture where they forcefully speak harsh truths to the culture and they offend lots of people. Okay? Yeah. So Jesus is loving, but it doesn't mean he's always nice. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right? And in the same way, the, the last thing I would say is, look, how do we feel about judgment? Right? Because uh, Marxism is in, inherently humanistic. Okay, it's inherently humanistic. So it's going to argue that the only reason people are bad is because they're in bad, they grew up in bad situations, something like that, right? The reason people are bad is because they're oppressed, right? Once you remove their oppression, they're going to be great, they're going to be happy, they're going to be loving, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't have the same understanding of a sinful nature or that we need salvation from sin because we're innately sinful, right? Mm -hmm. And um, that that's a, a huge problem with it. So the whole idea of judgment, right, like... Can you? Is it fair for God to judge people? Is it fair for them to condemn them for eternity? The more we get into a humanistic mindset, again, and Marxism is one aspect of humanism, the more we get into a humanistic worldview, the more we'll feel like that's not fair. It's not fair for God to do that. Why? Because humans are all good. Okay, that's, that'll be your core conviction. We're all good. We don't deserve, you know, um, we don't deserve condemnation, or we don't deserve punishment, or harsh discipline, right? That's not fitting. That's not right. And so, you do that, and, you know, the gospel starts to become something totally different, right? Like, now you're you're not being saved from, you know, the, the punishment for your own sin. You're being saved from the oppression of mean people, of the bad people, or something like that, right? And so, it, it fundamentally shifts so much of the Bible, in serious ways. So ultimately, that is my appeal to believers. Consider the biblical, how well does it line up with the parts of the Bible that are that are hard, that, that, that speak against what's fashionable in our culture, number one. And, you know, and number two, what's the fruit of it? Do people who follow this ideology, do they grow closer to Jesus, right? Do they love him more? Are they, do they live more of a holy lifestyle, right? Or is the fruit that they tend to wander away from Jesus and, you know, and they wander away from a holy lifestyle and they wander away um, from, you know, a traditional gospel? Yeah. If I can pivot real quick to more of identifying Marxism in our society now. Mm -hmm. um, other than the class warfare and, 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 and race, uh, critical race theory and all those things, can you give me some 
evidence of Marxism in society now? Like, what are some steps and practices that we that the left is doing now where you can say, hey, that's Marxist in practice? Yeah, I mean, look, in every, in ev look, just take the every progressive policy platform. <laughs> you know, they're, right, right. they're pretty much all, you know, rooted out of some type of Marxist worldview, right? The idea is we need to take power from the evil white people, okay? Like all the demonization of Trump and Trump voters as, as neo-Nazis and racists, and that's why we got to get them out of power because they're, they're oppressing everybody. How? How specifically are they oppressing people? Well, usually what it comes down to is their speech, right? It's like Trump is saying all these things that make make you know, brown people feel bad about themselves or, you know, it, it, a lot comes back to the speech, which is why canceling the speech, right? We got to, we have to have hate crime legislation, right? We got to punish people for their speech, you know, and all of like, they're talking about Kylie, you know, um, the press secretary, right? And how like no one should hire her. Why? Because she said so many lies, so many evil things in Trump's name, you know, like, all of this is it flows out of the Marxist worldview, right? So if we're yeah. actually talking policy prescriptions, I mean, there's a lot of them. I would simply say this. The general rule of thumb is does it increase the size and the power and the wealth of the government or does it decrease it? That's the primary thing here, right? Because I believe the wisdom of the founding fathers that the whole point of the system was to keep the federal government limited in its power and to warn against the creep of its power, okay? Yeah. So, you know, again, when we're talking about things like free college tuition, okay, the government, the government cannot give free college tuition, okay? It doesn't have the power to do that. All it can do is it can do it one of two ways. It can take, take in more taxes, which means it is literally taking money from people, okay, to pay for what it wants to. And just, and look, the only, the only reason why you like free college tuition is because they're not taking it from you, they're taking it from somebody else, okay? The government, free is a lie. There's no such thing as the government giving something for free. The question is, who are they taking it from? Okay. And most people are fine because they're taking it from quote unquote rich, powerful people, something yeah. like that. Right. And so, yeah, take their rich, take their riches because they're using it to oppress me and give it to me to even, even the, the, the playing field. But look, what you're doing is you're engaging in a kind of theft. It really is. At its core, it is a type of theft right, where you're justifying your greed and saying, I deserve their stuff. It's the same, it's the same stuff with communism all the time. It's why they, you know, in, in Russia, you know, they took the kulaks, the, the wealthy farmers, right, and they said, you guys are capitalists and you're evil because they're so successful. Any, any successful farmer was an evil farmer, and they justified it, and they took all their land, all their produce, right, and they sent them to Siberia, right? Like, it's the same stuff just in a different skin, right? When we say, hey, we're going to get free college tuition, and what does that mean? Well, we're going to tax rich people more because they owe us, right? They don't owe you anything, okay? The whole idea of freedom is that anybody who is rich, for the most part in a capitalist society, they got rich by, by, by through business, right? Giving a product or a service that people wanted to buy, voluntary transactions. So unless you can establish how they illicitly got rich, and then you can press charges and they can be prosecuted by the law. That's part of the law. If they did something illegal or wrong, then they should be prosecuted. And I want them to be prosecuted. But yeah. 
But once you start saying that's impossible because they control the system and the system is rigged against us, well, now you're talking Marxism again, okay? Now you're talking there's a, the, the rich control the system, the whites control the system, and the only way that we can beat it is by resorting to unfair things in the opposite direction, right? That's, you're justifying your evil behavior, right? I forget who said this, but democracy is like, you know, is like two wolves and a lamb voting on what they're going to have for supper, right? Something like that, right? It, that's evil, right? It's evil. The purpose of the government is to protect the lamb in this sad analogy, right? It's to protect the lamb against the wolves. The tyranny of the masses is a real thing, right? If I have, you know, if I get all my friends together and we go, hey, we're going to vote that Paul gives me his house, right? Because Paul's kind of a mean guy and he doesn't share enough with us, you know? That's Thankfully, evil. I don't have a house, so hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? That's, that's evil what we're doing. Right, right? Evil, man. Yeah. When we put it in the language of they owe us because of, yeah. no, how does how do they owe you? You know, that that's all Marxism. That's part of that worldview that, yeah. in my opinion, is evil. It justifies all sorts of evil behavior. Yeah. That's the same thing with systemic racism. When we're unconcerned with black on white racism, that racism has no power. The only power, the only racism that concerns us is white on black racism. And now we're going to look for it everywhere. Everything that could be racist is racist and is more evidence of the need to take their stuff from them. Right. Well, now you've created a system, you know, of total suspicion and where facts don't matter. Objective evidence doesn't matter. None of that matters. It's based on faith because it's a worldview. Yeah. You know what terrifies me about Marxism? is the oppression of it. You, know, you talked about what happened in Russia. You take that wealthy landowner, put him in gulags. We look at China, Marxist principles in action there, where they're now just oppressing Christians, Muslims there. I mean, I just want the church to realize that it's, it's, it's right around the corner. I mean, these kinds of oppression now, the real oppression that I'm talking about, where they really are now persecuting the church, it's happening. But I feel a lot of a lot of Christians are asleep to this and they're not seeing it. For sure. You know, and I just want to like kind of just ring the bell, guys, wake up. For sure. It's, it's coming. Marxism, now it, it seems like, oh, it's kind of at first, oh, we're really trying to, to help. But the, the fruit of it that you're talking about is, is, it's destructive, and it really creates a platform for oppressors to really rise. And it seems to me just a power grab. And they kind of use the Marxist playbook to do that. Uh, I mean, what do you yeah. think about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's super scary, man. I mean, the thing is, you know, it, on the on the conservative side, we see great oppression too, all right? We see great yeah. oppression. Like, I think we are living in the greatest oppression in history right now, okay? Mm -hmm. Not speaking of Christian, I'm speaking of unborn babies. All right. I think unborn babies are the most persecuted people in the history of the world. Right. But if I were to, to embrace the Marxist system, then what I would do is I would demonize, right, every person who got an abortion or anybody who argued in abortion's favor. Right. And I would argue that they need to be, you know, canceled and shut down. And, you know, I would press for prosecution of the mothers and all this kind of stuff. Right. Because the spirit of it is so, it, it, it engenders hatred and division. That's what Marxism does. It creates class warfare and, and division, right? Um, but that's not how conservatives tend to fight this battle, 
right? What do we preach? We preach love the mother, right? The mothers who get abortions, look, they're in difficult situations because it's true. Because we try to understand them and care for them and love them, even though we believe that what they're doing is evil. And to be clear, I'm not trying to give a pass to the fathers who condone this or abandon their children or anything like that, okay? Um, but I simply say this. That's why Christianity heals. It heals because we preach love. It's the same thing for whites, for our founding fathers. We don't condemn them for believing in slavery or for supporting slavery, even the ones that did. We don't, con we don't condone their behavior, but we understand people have major problems, and we're all blind in different ways, especially for our time periods and stuff like that. So I simply say, yes, like that's the model that we're to fight this on, right? And we should be able to discern the evil of this Marxist system that creates so much bitterness and unforgiveness and rage. We should not be the ones excusing that type of stuff right, and saying, and giving it a pass, like when all the BLM protests were happening, look, the truth is this, when all the BLM riots and protests were happening, the right was condemning it, the left was largely justifying it, largely, okay, and then when the rioting happened in D.C., I don't know of any conservative pundit that justified it, okay, they almost all condemned it, I didn't hear anybody that, that didn't condemn it, okay, even President Trump condemned it, right, and then what happened was, you know, they I don't I don't know how they're even talking about that, right? Like he didn't really mean to condemn it. He was actually trying to secretly wink at them and egg them on while he was gonna you know, it's it's such it's such garbage, all right? And that's that's what I mean. If we buy into this whole system, if you can't see where it leads, I where is your discernment lovingly? How can you not discern where this stuff leads? Yeah. Right, this leads right in the down the same path that so many nations went down in the 20th century. It's the same path, okay. And yes, if we as a church don't get serious about fighting this thing, then that's where we're headed. And that's the good thing is, look, I I'm actually so impressed with so many um, leaders in America, with so many pastors, so many Christians. You know, I'm impressed. I I man. Something like 80% of evangelicals supported um, Trump. Is that right? I don't know if that's right. I heard that statistic. I don't know. It's not verified. But if that's true, that is amazing. I, like, it's so... Because I see the media. The media, they're like, you know, 98% against Trump, right? And I see all the propaganda, everything. And so for the average evangelical voter to support him in the midst of all of that, that's like, I'm like very impressed. I'm like, holy cow. You guys can see through a lot of this stuff. It's just hard because, you know, we're over here on the on the West Coast, you know, with a bunch of Asians. And, again, Asians tend to be a little bit more liberal on all this stuff. But in a lot of other circles, I mean, they're able to see through a lot of this. I'm I'm, I'm very impressed. Yeah. So there's hope. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of there's hope, hope, man. There's yeah. a lot of hope. I don't know, man. I have this defeatist attitude, dude. I'm just like... <laughs> I'm I'm trying to you know convince some of my friends, but they're just not seeing it. They're not seeing. Oh yeah, of course. You know, I, I look crazy when I talk about Marxism and all these things. So, uh, are there any resources that you can point people to? Any anyone who's kind of a voice in this besides you, of course. Oh um, yeah. Well, it look it it's now main stage. 
okay, okay. that you know for a long time i was talking about this stuff and people were like okay pastanis is talking about that weird marxist stuff but now it's made, there he it's, is again he's yeah. talking about that m word yeah but now <laughs> yeah. now it's center stage right everyone's right. talking about this at this point oh good okay good to hear. oh yeah like the sbc right the sbc the six presidents of sbc seminaries all condemned critical race theory they said it has no place in in biblical Christianity or in the SBC. That's the Southern Baptist Convention, okay? Just explain to our first-time viewers here, why is critical race theory just kind of, wh where did that derive from, basically? Uh, critical race theory is is basically, you know, when I said that um, Marxism evolved in the Frankfurt School yeah. and it became yeah. more about race than about, yeah. you know, um, worker-owner relationship, that's critical race theory. Critical race yeah. theory is the is is cultural marxism if you want to put it like that okay they condemn that vehemently basically yes okay now Good. that's resulting in drama in sbc i know that um a number of the black churches are out right because of that and um you know it's it, it but it's splitting everything okay the the reform movement used to be really united they're being split over the issue of critical theory right john MacArthur's coming out really strong against it and others like Matt Chandler are like very open to it. Well, I don't want to speak for Matt Chandler. I've heard him say some things that sound make him sound very open to it, but I don't know for sure. Okay, um, so it's it's becoming center stage, and now there's lots of people talking about it all over the place, right? Including us, right? I've been saying all this my stuff to my congregations, but this is the first time I feel like no, we've got to do a podcast and start publicly talking about it as much as possible. So I would just point to um, a big one is is Vody Bauckham. Right, a lot of people yeah. have been checking him out, and he's got some good stuff that I've heard on this. On this, um, James Lindsay, James Lindsay. If you don't know who he is, he um, he's not Christian. Okay, I should be really clear. He's not Christian, but he does a really good job espousing li logically what's wrong with critical theory. Okay, so he he wrote a book called Cynical Theories. I still haven't read it to be honest. Oh, but actually, I just bought that book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. But I've I I followed him for a while now, and um, I, I I appreciate a lot of what he's put out on this. You know, um, discipleship.org actually recommended that book. Okay, yeah, yeah, as one of the top discipleship. It's a discipleship group. I mean, I mean, a book, uh, a group that's uh, recommending this, which is fascinating to me. Okay, yeah, I, go ahead, man. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate it. You know, if you know James Lindsay's story, he's kind of fascinating because him and a couple others, what they did was they. Um, wrote a bunch of papers in the academic world and they were all hoaxes right so like they one paper was they took me and conf right and they 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 turned it into all woke language right and they made it sound like a very you know you know uh academic version i forget exactly what that paper was about but they basically tried to get them um they tried to get them peer-reviewed and published and they got a lot of them published Right, a lot of them got awards stuff like that, and so they did all these papers just to show that the actual ideas in this stuff are actually really evil, yeah. right? And one of their papers was really funny. It was about like rape culture, and they studied. They went to dog parks, right? And they and it was about how like male dogs are raping female dogs, and how you know how that influences society and all this stuff. So all these like hoax papers but the whole idea was that there's no substance to this right so right. all like ethnic studies gender studies sociology you have to understand all these fields these are activist fields there's not actual real academic or scientific merit to these fields they're pure marxist activism yeah. right um 
so they 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 exposed a lot of this stuff, and I heard about that, and I I, I thought, wow, this is amazing. And so he went on to study it more, and then he wrote this book um, with another co-author. And so I, I I appreciate a lot of his stuff just because he thinks so clearly about a lot of these issues. Um, John MacArthur obviously is one who started to speak out very forcefully on social justice stuff right now. Um, to be honest, I'm not. You had talked about someone that I wanted to look more to. Neil Shenvey. Yeah, Neil Shenvey, right. Yeah, that guy is, is up there for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I would just say, look, we're right now in, in... I appreciate that now all of these conservative voices are starting to speak out forcefully. I would just say it's about time because it's been yeah, going on for a while now. Virtually almost every Christian apologist I know condemn critical theory. Good, they're yeah. totally against it. But it seems that there are a lot of pastors still that are not convinced. Well, because it's um, gone, it's gone into the seminaries. It right. is, is deep in the seminaries right now. Wow. So, so I guess to our viewers, if if you haven't looked into the dangers of, of critical race theory or just critical theory, just l- look into the guys that Dennis just spoke about right now, and, and just look at their work. Uh, I think it's important just at least to understand. And if you disagree with it, that's fine. I hope you don't. But if you disagree, that's totally okay. But at least take the time to hear what they have to say. That's for me personally, it's so dangerous. It's a cancer in the church that's metastasizing. Um, So uh, please look into this. So Vadi Bauckham, James Lindsay, Cynical Theories, Neil Shenvey, John MacArthur. Look into these guys, please. Great. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah, and I'm hopeful, man. I think we're going to have a big pushback. Because uh, we're just slow as the church. We're so slow to react to stuff, you know what I mean? But once we start to really start to get a hold of something and start pushing, I think we'll have a real major pushback against it. Cool. I hope so. I'm praying for that, brother. Yeah. Well, Dennis, thank you for this, man. Um, I look forward to our next podcast. Uh, man, I can talk about Marxism for days because I think it's as you said, the most dangerous thing in this country right now. So thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts, man. Appreciate you. Yeah, no problem. Love you too, brother.